You're listening to Ed Curation, the podcast where teachers talk curriculum. We make it easier for educators to find the resources they need to create fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ed Curation, where teachers talk curriculum. And I'm super excited to have Sarah Noble here, English and Humanities teacher from Alameda High School in Alameda, California. Thanks for coming on the show today, Sarah. My pleasure. So tell our listeners how long you have been teaching and tell everyone a little bit about Alameda High School and what the students and the school is like there. So I've been teaching for nine years now. I teach English language arts to ninth graders, and I teach a humanities class to 11th graders. So let's see, what about Alameda High School? It is a traditional high school. We have two on the island, two traditional or comprehensive high schools on the island. And then we have two other high schools, but I'll talk about Alameda High. It is large. I would say there's about just under 2,000 students. Many of them are high achieving and plan on going to college. That sounds like an exciting place to be with, I'm sure, a lot of different things going on. That's a large student population. But if you've been teaching for nine years and it feels like it's gone fast, you must enjoy it. Tell us what you like about teaching. What keeps you coming back year after year? I'm fortunate that I live in my community. So I get to see students in my normal life too, when I'm at the grocery store, when I'm out to dinner, when I'm walking around Park Street. So I love seeing students around town. What keeps me going back? Gosh, I love so many things. I love that every day is different. Never know exactly what I'm going to expect when I get to school. Sure, I have my plans and I know what room I'm going to be in, but I never know exactly how my day is going to go. I love building relationships with students and finding out what interests them. So then I can work that into the curriculum and make their engaging learning and meaningful. I love when students have that light bulb moment, you know, when you're not really sure they're getting it and then they just go "Ah!" and they come up with some brilliant idea or some deeper thought or connection. I love reading good student writing. That does happen occasionally. (laughs) Actually, it happens a lot more than just occasionally. And that's what sort of keeps me going back when I'm teaching writing and I'm grading their essays and I think, okay... I can't read anymore. And then I read one that's just beautiful. And I sit back and I go, ah. And probably one of my favorite aspects of teaching, when students find the lesson so engaging, that time goes by quickly, that they're surprised that class is over. And let me tell you, that is no small feat when I've had juniors for three hours. And they're like, class is already over? And I'm like, wow, okay. Oh, congratulations. Good day today. I remember that feeling. That's such a good feeling. And that light bulb moment that you talk about. I remember exactly where I was certain years of my career when and certain students that I saw that happen. That's so rewarding. So something that helps us achieve that is, of course, our own dedication and effort, but also the resources that we have. So you're here to talk about a curriculum product resource, professional learning that I know about, and I've always been really impressed by, but I've never actually taught myself. So will you tell us a little bit about one of your favorites that you're going to share with us today? I would love to. So I discovered Facing History and Ourselves. And I have to tell you, that is one of my go-to resources. They're a global education organization that's designed to help students understand human behavior by studying history. 
And their curriculum, their focus is to combat racism, prejudice, anti-Semitism, and stereotyping by creating upstanders and bystanders. And they have lesson plans, media, publications, and teacher development. So it's such a comprehensive resource. I've used it in both my English and history courses. And there's like teaching strategies that would work for any content area. The site is amazing. It is huge. It is somewhat overwhelming. So I've had to sort of pick and choose what I use. Or sometimes I'll be in the mood and I'll go browse a little bit here and there just to, you know, especially during the summer when I have some time, I might want to learn more about, say, To Kill a Mockingbird. How can I teach that differently? And I could go and read their curriculum guide for that. There's just so much to it. I could spend all day talking about it and still not even scratch the surface of what Facing History has to offer. How did you first learn about Facing History and ourselves? You know, I wish I could remember. I've been using it for so many years. I think I just lucked out and found it. Maybe last year, our school district partnered with Facing History. So we've had professional development with, with them. And then we have a program associate who I can reach out to with questions about content, strategies, pretty much whatever I need. And she'll get back to me and help me. Yeah. So when I knew that you were going to come on the show and talk about facing history, and I know it's called facing history in ourselves, but I feel like everyone just calls it facing history. Is that right? I think so. It's a little shorter, easier to roll off the tongue than facing history in ourselves. Yeah. So I was looking on their website and I see that just in the way you described, folks can kind of search for by topics or by, you know, subject area for, for resources. And that they also offer a lot of professional development that looks like it's organized by calendar and geography, but that, you know, maybe a certain district like yours is kind of sponsoring the training, but then maybe others that are local or nearby or can get there could join as well. Is that your understanding of how they work with educators? So how we, I'll talk about sort of how our district has used it. So they've come in and they've led professional development for our Alameda Unified School District teachers, but they also have seminars in the geographic region that Mm -hmm. other educators can sign up and Mm -hmm. attend. And they also have some webinars online too. So you can search up webinars and see and just watch one, which is a great summertime resource. And so what's the difference between just, you know, when you were going online by yourself and accessing these resources compared to when you had an entire district kind of rollout and training, you know, what did you get from each that was different from the other, right? For our listeners who might be able to go online and find stuff, but then for the ones, like, why would it be valuable for people to attend a training, in your opinion, if, if it is? I'll talk about both. I'll start with why it's valuable to attend a professional development training. So when you're in a room with other educators, it gives you the opportunity to collaborate and talk to other people. And I always find that You know, teaching is such a solo experience in some ways. I mean, sure, you're with kids all day. And so that's not solo. You just have limited adult interactions. So when you go to professional development, you're giving yourself the gift of time to become a learner yourself. And you can learn alongside other educators. There's a facilitator in the room who knows the curriculum, who can guide you in it different way than maybe you would find on your own. They'll push you in different ways than you would on your own and maybe have you think about things differently 
So I love professional development and talking to other teachers and collaborating with other teachers within my district as well as without. But if you don't have that, their website is so great. So if you're teaching a new novel, I find that, sure, I'm an English teacher. I know how to teach a novel the way I've always taught it. But maybe I want to try something different. Maybe I want to be more innovative. Maybe I want to switch up the lens with how I teach this novel. So facing history, I can Google the novel and I can look at one of their curriculum guides. So for example, I was teaching a history unit for my humanities class. We were doing the civil rights movement. And I wanted to teach something about one of the Little Rock, the Arkansas Little Rock Nine facing history has a lending library. So I didn't have um, Warriors Don't Cry in access to me in my school, but Facing History did. So I was able to borrow for free a set of books with media that went along with it and a curriculum guide for free from Facing History. And otherwise, I mean, my students then had a class set of books to read and I had curriculum. So I wasn't like, oh, I have to read this book first and I have to do all this prep to teach this new novel that will be meaningful for students, it was all there for me. That's amazing. They offer so many free resources. How are they funded? Do you know? So I do know that they get a lot of grants. They're a global organization. So they have offices in Oakland, Chicago, I think. I don't want to misquote, but they get a lot of funding through grants. And I think they do have some relationships with districts where districts pay them. For the more intensive work with them. But before our district did any of that, I used them for free. It's really just so high quality. I was like, how is this free? I mean, I have the same questions. So, is there anything particular that you learned about how to teach or what to teach through the professional development that's worth sharing with us? Yes. I love to teach books that reach kids at an emotional sort of gut level, because that's what keeps kids engaged. But they always have sort of a controversial element, whether it's dealing with gender identity or dehumanizing language or both. And so I need structure to implement when I'm talking about race, identity, and other highly personal topics. I'm not super comfortable with doing that. And so Facing History gave me resources and strategies so I could create a safe space for students so we could go there and students felt safe. They felt connected because if we only talk about what we're comfortable with, we're not growing as humans. And I feel like we really need to teach students how to develop as civic-minded, emotionally there people especially given that divisive political climate that we're in. And so Facing History has strategies and lesson plans that help me teach these topics that are uncomfortable for me in a way that make it more comfortable. I'm not going to say that I'm ever going to feel comfortable talking about race, but Facing History has resources that make it accessible for me and for my students. Can you tell us, give us an example of one? Sure. So, so many of our books, use dehumanizing language. And I don't want to just stop in the middle and talk about it. So Facing History has lessons that you can use before you teach a book that is using dehumanizing language. 
So one of the lessons that I did last year, before I taught, I think it was Zora Neale Hurston's or Eyes Were Watching God. I was teaching that book to my juniors. And then in history, we were doing the Harlem Renaissance and maybe the Roaring Twenties and the Great Migration. We really needed to talk about race and racism because that's what we were going to be studying in both English and history. And I never want to make light about that topic. I never want to ignore it, but I also don't want to alienate students. And so Facing History has a lesson, and I did this before we even talked about the books or the history topics. They have a lesson where students define race and racism. But before, like the first lesson is contracting with students. So you create a contract in the classroom with students about, you know, you set up some norms, but the students are involved in creating those norms so that you have buy-in. And it isn't me standing there saying, okay, we will respect each other. It's creating that culture of respect using one of Facing History's lesson plans. And then we moved on to, you know, what is race? What is racism? So then at the end of the lesson, and I believe I did it in two days, but with anything, you can stretch it or shorten it depending on the needs of your students and your time. And so I took students through the lesson, which was a process of quick write, small group discussions, whole group, et cetera. And then at the end, the class reached a consensus for a definition of race and racism. And the students were engaged and quite lively. And I had students who normally would just sit in class, not say anything, engaged and talking multiple times. And then at the end, we created a poster with our definitions and we were able to hang it on our classroom wall, which creates that culture that I strive for. And we referred to it throughout the year. Did those definitions kind of show back up and provide kind of like a touchstone text throughout the reading of the novel and the studying of the history? Yes. And throughout the year too, because most texts we read, there is some dehumanizing nature in them. So absolutely. And it was great because it showed me too that the students really got it because it was their definition. So talk about buy-in. It's not me telling them. I'm just more facilitating their learning, which is what I prefer to do. Oh, that's so exciting. And did you try to teach about race and racism before you kind of had this tool? Do you feel like this is kind of the best way that you've discovered to launch forward in the year with these topics? Oh, for sure. Before, I avoided things that made me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And the topic of race and racism is something that I avoided and did not want to talk about because it made me really uncomfortable. And this curriculum made me examine my own feelings and my own identity so I could have an authentic learning experience alongside my students. I was able to facilitate some of those intense conversations that I wouldn't have before. And that's why I'm so thankful that I had Facing History's curriculum to use because it allowed me to lean in with my students and develop deeper relationships with students, which is key. I am not afraid of having those tough conversations anymore. That's exciting, Sarah. Thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, what a great resource. In my 12 years that I was in the classroom, I don't think there was ever a year where these topics weren't kind of front and center because they are so critical in all of the great literature that we read and more contemporary literature that students enjoy and 
And it's exciting to hear that there are some free resources out there that can make this easier for teachers, help teachers become learners. How exciting. So I would imagine you feel like you're a better teacher as a result of, of learning these these methods and, and having these resources. Can you talk about any other ways that you feel facing history has made you a better teacher? Sure. So when I'm teaching a novel, I definitely see myself as more of a facilitator than a teacher who stands in front of the room and delivers the instruction. I'm more of a asking questions and getting students to talk. Mm-hmm. But sometimes in the middle of a novel, you hit that low point where you have just the energy is low. Maybe some of it is from me. Maybe it's some of it is from my students. And I need something to get that level up. So what Facing History has, and this is what I really like about them, is I can just go on there and look at teaching strategies and they have them organized. So it's a, you know, it could be like classroom discussion or kinesthetic or creative expression or civic engagement. I mean, there's just so many more. I can't think of all of the ways they categorize them. But say I think, you know, this is going to be an 86-minute block with my freshmen. It's in the afternoon. They need to get up and move. So Mm -hmm. I can look on the Facing History website, find a teaching strategy for classroom discussion, scroll through them and go, oh, wait, four corners. Perfect. This is a strategy I've used before. Maybe I haven't thought about it exactly the way they have it sort of written out because their instructions are really detailed and great. For a novel, maybe with the four corners, I'll come up with some statements about the characters. I want kids to have that self-connection to develop a richer connection and engagement to the work that we're doing. So I might come up with some statements and the students will have filled out the sheet ahead of time where they'll circle strongly agree, agree, disagree, strongly disagree. And I'll label each of the four corners of my classroom and I'll say, okay, and I'll read a statement about a character's choice maybe that they've made. And I'll say, go to the corner that fits, you know, what you circled and discuss. And then we'll have a classroom discussion. So it gets the kids up and moving. Facing History has like at least 30 different strategies on their website that I can sort of look at, which are good reminders of like, okay, what do I need for my students today? I can look there and be rejuvenated and get an idea. And so do you think the students like it? I do think they like it because they will tell me, (laughs) especially my freshmen. I mean, you were a classroom teacher, you know, when you suggest that you're doing something, what the student reactions are. Right. So I can tell when the students are doing it, when they all get up and do and actively engage. Are you going to get everybody every time? No. But when I'm using facing history curriculum, I get more of them. Can you share any particular success story about one student or a small group of students that you observed or witnessed or facilitated while you were teaching facing history? So one thing that's been super helpful is I've used the big paper strategy with my students. And this engages some of my quieter students who, when you have them in a group of four, they're the quiet ones. They don't say anything. One of my personal kids is very quiet. Doesn't mean that she's not engaged and not learning, but she's not a talker. I mean, it is shocking to me that I have a kid who doesn't like to talk. (laughs) And so 
I try to think about her in my teaching too. Like, how can I get her to feel engaged and be able to show the teacher that she is engaged that doesn't require her to always talk? And so there's something that Facing History taught me. It's called the big paper strategy. So you have the students in their groups. Could be a trio, could be a quad. And you put a piece of paper in the middle and you give them a prompt. And they can't talk. They have to silently write what they think. So each student has a marker. I mix it up and I'll give like, only have four colors. So every student will have, at a table group, will have a different color marker so I can see who's written what. Normally I can tell by their handwriting too. And I'll write, have a prompt and they're not allowed to talk. They have to write their discussion. And so that way, students, you know, who don't like to verbally process can still participate and have a discussion. And for students who like to talk, it causes them to slow down and to really pay attention to what their peers are saying. I've had students after doing that exercise even tell me that they appreciated a different way to show what they knew. I'm embarrassed to say that I've never heard of that strategy. Of course, I've done versions of it, but this whole thing where they're not allowed to talk and where everybody has their own color and that each group has the same four colors. So you can kind of see the participation, you know, it kind of silently holds everyone accountable for participating and contributing, right? That is just brilliant. I love that. And I'm thinking specifically of particular classes that I've taught throughout the years that would have benefited tremendously for this and, and, and how good this strategy would be in professional development too. What a cool technique. Thanks for telling us about it. Why do people have things to say? Yes, of course. And for a whole variety of reasons that we know about, might choose not to, but this is a different way for them to engage. What about teachers? Now, you teach both English and humanities, English and history. Is facing history mostly for teachers of these content areas for secondary? What teachers would you recommend check this out or what types of educators? So I definitely think it is geared towards 6th to 12th grade teachers. But elementary teachers might benefit from looking at it because like there's a curriculum guide. They didn't really talk too much about the different curriculum guides that they have for the novels plus history units. But even elementary school teachers could, before they're teaching a book, could look for the historical context so that they could frame it for their students in a way to make the literature more meaningful. All grade levels could benefit from it. But I used it as a middle school and high school teacher in English language arts and history. But I believe government, economics, probably psychology, and elective teachers would benefit from it as well. When Facing History came to Alameda, were they working just in those content areas? Or was it a whole district, whole school sort of professional learning opportunity? So we had it as a whole school, I believe. All teachers need to know how to develop and foster relationships with students and learn how to deal with race, anti-Semitism, prejudice, and stereotyping. That's why I think it's such a comprehensive resource that I really haven't scratched the surface with. Um, We might have to do another call (laughs) to talk more about it. Oh, well, I'm excited to dig into Facing History myself after speaking to you. Is there anything that you would like to say to the designers or developers of Facing History? Keep adding to your lending library and increasing the number of books that teachers can borrow. But honestly, thanks for 
making my life as a teacher easier. I love teaching, but trying to plan engaging lessons and teach and grade and, you know, respond to parents' concerns and the other stuff that comes along with teaching is hard. So being able to have a really good, thoughtful, intelligent, intellectually stimulating access to curriculum, just invaluable. So I really appreciate the work that they do. So what, Sarah, do you think is the next curriculum resource or tool that you might be looking for now that you have this in your tool belt and as part of your resources that you continue to go back to? Is there anything else on the horizon that you wish you had resources to help with your job? I'm sure you can guess what I'm going to say, but I'm always looking for ways to teach writing more effectively. So I'm not sure which resource I'll explore more or next. I've heard good things about Kate Kinsella. I've read some of Kelly Gallagher's books. Since it's summer, I still have some time, but I'm always looking for ways to help students increase their, you know, to be better writers and for me to be more effective. You know, you're not the only person who's come on the show who has asked for those kinds of resources. And so honestly, here at Ed Curation, we haven't given great effort to finding great how to teach writing resources. But since we're hearing this request from a lot of you, we definitely need to kind of shift our focus on that and make those resources more available and and help spread the word about that. So thank you for sharing that need with us. Like I said, you're not the only one. And thank you for sharing with us about how you found Facing History and Ourselves and how you're able to access it yourself for a number of years and kind of, I'm sure, help grow the interest organically in your school and district. And then tell us about the way that Alameda High School brought Facing History in and and trained the entire staff in these important ways of building community and teaching about racism and prejudice. And it just sounds like all of this work has created a more enhanced culture for the students and the teachers in your building and in your district. So thank you so much, Sarah. You're welcome. It was fun. Thank you for listening to Ed Curation. We hope you learned something today about a curriculum resource that produces fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Check out edcuration.com to find out more. That's E-D-C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com.